Welcome to Fujilove. Hey everybody, welcome to the Fujilove podcast. This is the show that is made possible by Fujilove magazine. For all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX related, head on over to fujilove.com. And of course, this podcast is all about the photographers who love to use the Fujifilm gear. This week, we have Brian Minear on the show. He is an outstanding landscape photographer, Fujifilm X creator, and so much more. Let's get into that interview. I would like to bring on Brian Minear to the show. Brian is a very patient photographer because we've been planning this for quite some time. And my, I, I have been all over the place with my scheduling <laughs> and you have been so cool about uh, all, all the craziness that, uh, that this past holiday season brought on and everything. And uh, so <laughs> not only are you a patient person, but you are also a tremendous landscape photographer, Brian. Great to have you on the show, man. Oh, man, it's an honor to be here. Honestly, thank you for all the kind words. But yeah, it's, it does seem like we, the I, I didn't do a search, but I feel like I need to go back through my email and look when we first started talking about doing this. It has to be over a year ago. It's been in the <laughs> making for a long time. It's, uh, it, it is, it is funny. Um, but like, it would be, uh, oh crap, my, uh, something happened to my dog. Uh, or oh crap, something happened to my kid. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that goes. Um, yeah, crazy times. But I am so glad that we are able to finally talk. And man, um, are you an official Fuji X photographer? Yeah, I think that's what they they call me. Um, I think it, I'm, I'm kind of in flux. Uh, because yeah. of how things are kind of changing in the U.S., the way they've kind of structured the team. Um, yep. We added, you know, several new Fujifilm X photographers this past year. And I think I get phased out. I forget the timeline. So I won't be like an official X photographer uh, for very much longer. I'll just be a lowly Fujifilm creator. Um, but uh, no, I, uh, yeah, right. Uh, the title has always been, it's always been, uh, super weird to me. So it's super weird to me to have just personally, cause I'm not really big on labels and titles and all that stuff. So no, but it's kind of like, you know what? It's kind of like being the president. They'll always call you, um, uh, Mr. President, even when you're not the president. <laughs> so it's like you were, you were an extra photographer. You served your term. And, you know, you're, you're still, uh, you know, it, it kind of like, kind of like that. We'll still call you Mr. President. There we go. <laughs> I'll, I'll take, I'll take that. Um, but man, I, I gotta say, um, your photography, uh, and while, you know, we're, we're, we're starting the, this, um, let the world know where they can find you on the web just so they can look at your photos as they listen on. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want probably the best place, sadly, I hate that it's the best place to go if you want to see the largest body of my work, but it's on Instagram probably. So if you want to find me on Instagram, I am at Brian Minear, uh, B-R-Y-A-N-M-I-N-E-A-R. 
that's, you know, that's been kind of my living portfolio since I started this landscape photography journey back in 2013 ish. Um, but I'm also, I'm probably on social media. I'm most active on Twitter, uh, also at Brian Manier, but then you can find me at uh, a more like professional portfolio set up with my blog and everything at brianmanier.com. Right on. And man, I gotta say you, you have some great compositions and the thing that really strikes me one is your editing style. Uh, the way you, uh, do your, you know, whatever coloration that you do in post-production, uh, it is just, just awesome. Um, but that is just icing on the cake because the thing that really strikes me is your composition, uh, work. You have this great tendency to use depth of field as a tool and, and you, you focus in on a certain part of the landscape or a certain part of the wildlife and, and using that, uh, awesome bokeh to, to, to really emphasize what you're, uh, truly focusing on. And, on top of that, like your wide angles, uh, photos, uh, they, they just have this great way of, uh, using a lot of lines where you, you basically use leading lines to their fullest. <laughs> you really know how to point people in, in the right direction. Well, thank you that you, you paid me kind of the most flattering of compliments because uh, I feel like composition is something that uh, I think out of everything that is photography, you know, I think composition is the thing that I'm most obsessed about. Like nothing bugs me worse than, than seeing somebody else's photo. And it's like the perfect, it is an amazing, perfect moment. But like, if they had just like done this one little thing to improve the composition, like it would elevate it far beyond, you know? Um, but I yeah. think yeah, composition and color, I think are two of my kind of, uh, foundational, you know, those are, those are the things that I was most drawn to when I, you know, first kind of started into photography was, you know, figuring out my artistic voice and my style and what, you know, how I saw the world. And I think, I, I mean, I joke a lot that I'm kind of a one trick pony when it comes to a lot of my compositional stuff, because of that, like you said, the leading lines, like the single point perspective, I think that's something that I'm really drawn to. I think a lot of it stems from the fact that I'm a, I'm a graphic designer. So I've been a full-time graphic designer since 2011. Um, and then I freelanced for a long time before that. So I, I definitely think that there's a heavy influence, uh, back and forth between, you know, my design work and laying out things and typography, and then what I'm drawn to, uh, compositionally in photography. I think there's a lot of back and forth there that, you know, over the years has kind of honed the way that I compose and just, you know, just see the world in, in at large. But that's a great way to bring in things that are outside the normal into uh, into your style of, of photography. Because a lot of times, I think, uh, if you're only looking at photography techniques for this, photography techniques for that, uh, it, it's 
yes, there, there are growing up uh, opportunities, but when you look into something that is not related to photography and find something that uh, just clicks and, and you are able to bring bring it into uh, your your photography work, I think that just bring elevates the entire craft uh, for everybody. And it's it's new stuff that everybody picks up on, and yeah, I, I think I think it's boon for everybody. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially now, like more recently, I feel like I've been heavily in. I I feel like more now than ever, I'm surrounding myself with just artists of all types, not just photographers, uh, you know, yeah. designers and 3D artists, painters, like all of that stuff, and I feel like. I've got more inspiration and just anytime I see something new, it's just another, you know, just kind of something to add to the tapestry of, you know, my, my mind that has been, you know, kind of, uh, fixated on just improving as a photographer. I, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of where I come from, uh, or, or I guess not where I come from, but where I wanted to go when I first started landscape photography was, I always just had this, I mean, I, I went to college, so I, you know, had a lot of, uh, and I, I'm in, I have a bachelor's of fine art, um, and graphic design. So I spent a lot of time in like art history classes and, um, was always just very obsessed with, uh, you know, painters and, and just traditional artists from the past. Uh, yeah. yet I could not paint at all. You know, I was terrible. So, you know, when I first, uh, really discovered Ansel Adams work and found out how he kind of utilized the dark room, uh, to, you know, to just define his technique and, and, you know, that, that blew my mind. And that's where I kind of, you know, that's how I, I look at post-processing is so much of my process. I mean, I love being out in nature and kind of having those experiences and, you know, chasing a sunset and, you know, the setbacks and it's all just the adrenaline and everything. But I'm, I'm always just looking forward to getting in front of a computer screen and, uh, and, and diving into an edit for sure. That's so much of what I love about photography. And I try to look at it. I was talking earlier on Clubhouse today we were taught, we were in a, a, a chat kind of about film photography and, you know, how we came up shooting film and how it affects how we shoot now. And I think I, a lot of the time, I feel like film photographers nowadays kind of have this elitist, elitist mentality of uh, not, I don't want to lump everybody in. There are some film photographers that I've encountered that have kind of this elitist mentality of, you know, uh, it doesn't get any better than this. And if you, do like post-processing to digital images, it's kind of tainting the art of what photography is. And, and I think, you know, I, I look back at that. I, my favorite example is Ansel Adams, uh, Moonrise Over Hernandez. I've seen photos of like the first, his first print from that negative versus his last print from that negative, you know, like 20 years later. And it's night yeah. and day what he did to that negative to pull out. I think he like bleached the negative at one point to pull out more contrast in the sky. And, you know, I, I love that stuff. And that's the kind of, I, I try to look at post-processing, you know, in Photoshop or Capture One or, you know, whatever program you're using kind of in that same way. It's, it's an elevated process. It's not just like a cheapened digital thing. Um, you know, I, I like to, 
I like to elevate everything that we do as photographers to, you know, it's important. What we're doing is important, no matter what kind of art you're creating. It's an important thing, both personally and for the world at large. And so, yeah, post-processing plays just such a huge part in my story as a photographer. Isn't that funny that even after all these years, uh, it's still essentially the same story where you have, Film photographers who, to your point, yes, the the purists who you know take the shot and this is it, uh, and, and of course there's the the, the post processing with the dodging and burning of uh, film, and now fast forward to today, where with our amazing Fujifilm gear, we are able to do the film simulation where we get to play the part of the purist in some respects and just have that opportunity to do a one and done photo because the JPEGs are amazing and you you can fine tune your photos before you even take the shot with with the the film simulation and, and the highlight adjustments, the sharpness adjustments, clarity, um, and, and then, you know, boom, your photo is done. Take the shot and you're done. Yep. Uh, that's the kind of, that's, I'll, I'll be honest. That's the camp where I'm mostly hanging around in. I, I, I do like that, but my job is mostly wedding photography where I'm looking at thousands of photos. <laughs> yeah. Really like to get the stud fast. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I come from. I mean, I bounce back and forth between camps, honestly. I mean, it really yeah. depends on what I'm shooting. I think I love – I think my whole my whole spiel is like, you know, I respect the hell out – can I cuss on this podcast? <laughs> can I say hell? Okay. Well, uh, not anything crazy. But, okay. Yeah. I got you. PG-13. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I respect the hell out of, uh, you know, photographers who have that kind of traditionalist mindset. I think it takes a great deal of – probably more skill than I have to, to be that good, you know, upfront and be able to get all that you need in the, out of that single shot. You know, I, I'm constantly trying to push myself to be better in that regard. Um, but you know, I, I just hope that somebody that is in that camp would pay that same respect to me and the the choices that I make with, you know, with my work. Um, and we have the option to do both. Exactly. Yeah. And I love it. I love JPEG recipes. That's that's some of the most fun that I have is tinkering with those and trying to dial in a custom look. Um, it's yeah. it's so much fun, and it just changes the shooting experience. You know, I think so much of when I'm out shooting, I'm. I mean, you said, and I said it at the beginning, right? I'm I'm obsessed with color. I love color, but yeah. probably seventy five to eighty percent of the time when I'm out shooting, I'm looking through at a black and white image. I put my camera into black and white mode. Uh, the majority of the time to shoot. And then I come back and process the color later. A a lot of landscape photographers do that. That, that is um, very common. In fact, uh, I think Thomas Heaton uh, is is the most recent photographer that, that does that. Um, But that, that's amazing. Um, What, what is it about the, the specific colors that you use? uh, Like why, I, I see a similarity in colors in, in your photos. There, there is a kind of a, not universality to it. There, there is you have a family of uh, palettes that that uh, are, are 
in some cases common and in some cases you, you, you go completely um, in another direction, which both, by the way, are awesome. Um, what is, what, what, why these colors? Like what, what is it about this set of colors that, that the reason why you use it? Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of drama to these photos. Uh, a, a photo that is perfectly still uh, has that sense of movement to it and has that sense of life. And a lot of that is coming from the colors that you use and the, the, um, it just that gives it that dramatic effect. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think I, I try to, when I'm like referring to what I do, I call it, you know, I kind of am an atmospheric landscape photographer. I love that term because I think it kind of encompasses all that you just said. Like, I love kind of that uh, emotional kind of uh, angsty moodiness to, yeah. to my photos. Um I, and I stole that atmospheric term from one of my favorite bands, uh, who's like a po ambient post rock kind of, they're kind of like a band that would like put you to sleep with prettiness, but also really destroy your ears with like brutal heaviness. They just, they don't have vocals a lot of the time. So it's, it's like a tonal range of, uh, dyna dynamic musicality, if that's a word. And so uh, everything that I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I feel like that I I kind of translated that to, you know, how I shoot, how I edit, and, and the kinds of things that I'm drawn to. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting when I um, just the other day, I was scrolling back through my Instagram feed to find something to, as a reference to send to somebody else. And I kind of noticed how the colors and kind of the overall dynamics of my uh, my post processing, the way that I shoot ha have like ebbed and flowed over time. I think, yeah. you know, there's definitely a similar vein, especially in the more recent years as I've kind of, uh, I guess, honed in on, you know, the, the, the kind of style that I am really drawn towards. Um, but I think a lot of it, you know, comes from the fact that I'm just such a golden hour shooter um, you know, yeah, I do notice that in your photos. That's yeah. I mean, if it's either nighttime, I love, I think my favorite thing is probably astrophotography. Um, mm -hmm. just because it's so rare for me, like it's hard for me to shoot where I live because I'm kind of in a metro area with a lot of light pollution. So I think yeah. when I do get to shoot it, it's, it's just such an experience and it's so quiet and there's nothing that really beats that for me. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think a lot of what I've drawn toward color wise is just the fact that I love that kind of golden hour light. And I love exaggerating like the warms and the cools or, or how, how like, uh, the reds and oranges in an image, uh, interact with the blues. I mean, it all goes back to, I think, you know, again, it goes back to design. Like I love, if you look at any movie poster design over the past, you know, <laughs> forever there's always that kind of uh complementary color palette going on you know that kind of yeah. draws you into the image so i think those again it goes it kind of ties into you know that ethos of design and everything and so 
Yeah, I think, I mean, the one thing, and I joke about it with my followers that I just really hate the color green. It's rare that you'll see, I'll do anything. I mean, I just modified a, uh, an, an old X-T2 uh, to, mm-hmm. to shoot full spectrum so I could, you know, not have to shoot green in the summers here in, uh, in Michigan where I live. Um, so I think it's, it's a running joke, um, but it's kind of true. I just, I'm not, for some reason, green in images is just kind of, it's just not, something that I think is good. So I tend to, when there is green and there, obviously there's, it's the earth is, you know, a lot of green. <laughs> so, uh, I, I usually just end up desaturating the heck out of it. And I think that also adds to that, you know, how my overall palette gets exaggerated to the colors that I like, because I'm kind of eliminating the colors that I don't for the most part. Um, so I think that adds to the overall kind of, un- uh, not uniqueness, but the consistency, of what's going on with a lot of my work. I, I sometimes have trouble with green. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that there, there are two types of green that I, that, that I hate when it's overwhelming in a photo and I hate rhododendrons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, rhododendrons are, 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 are filler plants. They, they, they flower for a minute and, and then they just, they're just ass ugly. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> Let's go take some photos in front of the, the rhododendrons. No, I would yeah. rather photo in front of the Buick because I can make the Buick look interesting. Sure. Rhododendrons never. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. That's where I draw the line. Rhododendrons. <laughs> I can't stand them. Um, but, uh, that that is that is funny. I now that I'm looking through your portfolio, the, the, you are right. The, the the amount of green is like next to nothing. You should see the the flack that I do catch when I and it usually doesn't have on happen on Instagram. Number one because I don't post very consistently to Instagram anymore. But yeah. like I tend to get. I, I love Twitter so much because it's it's not that like. Uh, track trackable live portfolio, you know, something that you post kind of exists for maybe a day and then it just disappears into the the internet. Um, so I use Twitter as kind of a place to get more experimental and just share more work. And so anytime I post a photo where there's any amount of green in it, people just lose it. Like what is, what is happening right now uh, and make, make fun of me. But no, I, it, it definitely comes back to like what you said. I'm just not a fan of, it's just so, uh, you know, I, I grew up in oh, rural Ohio, which was very green. I currently live in uh, like Metro Detroit, Michigan, and it just gets so thick and overwhelmingly green here to the point where, you know, the sun, some of my favorite spots that I consistently shoot during this, the peak of the summer, like the sun can't even break through all of the trees. Uh, yeah. And, and it's just, I just hate it. It just drives me crazy. And, you know, the, the stuff that I'm mostly drawn to, or we don't have here, you know, rocks and mountainscapes and, uh, astrophotography, that kind of stuff. So I think, um, yeah, the, the green is just a reminder that I don't live in <laughs> the, the place where, uh, you know, I, I could get the kinds of photos that I would just really love. Um, so yeah, it's just yeah. you moving and, and all of a sudden all your photos just turn green, turn green. Yeah, I know. I've been trying Both to blue and red. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I see that everywhere. I want green. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's probably how it would go. And it, I, it's funny because I've had, I have a, a friend who's also a Fujifilm shooter that lives uh, between, I think he's from Iceland, but he's between the Faroe Islands and Iceland. And uh, he posts, um, green and yellow aurora <laughs> well yes his i mean obviously like iceland has a lot of green too but i i could forgive iceland for being green because it's just so moody and and yeah. you know mountains and rocks and just a rugged terrain but he Have posts uh for you <laughs> yeah exactly exactly his uh he posts a lot of aurora shots and so it's like what would brian Manier do when he's shooting the Aurora, is he just going to flip the hue saturation slider all the way over and we're going to get a bright red Aurora? Uh, and I have not shot the Aurora yet, so I don't know what I would do in that situation. But my my guess is that it'd be such a spectacular thing to witness that I would give it a pass. Oh, my goodness. I would love to sh photograph an Aurora. I've only seen two in my lifetime. And it's, yeah, they're, they're just amazing. The couple times, I mean, there are a few times when uh, the, my I have an app that just you know gives me a notification when the KP index hits like whatever it is seven or whatever the you know hey there's a chance um, and you know there are times uh, that we get it as as far south as you know some of the northern areas of Michigan and so the couple times that I've chased it in hopes to see it it just completely does not happen so uh, I'm just holding out for you know getting to visit Norway or you know Iceland or a place like that to be able to really see it dance yeah that that, that would be yeah, that's on my that's on my bucket list. <laughs> um, so your your photography is amazing. Uh, what are you using for gear right now? Yeah, just so, out of curiosity. Sure, since we're, you know we are Fuji. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my primary has kind of flipped to the GFX one hundred S. Um, yeah, I've completely fallen in love with that camera. But like I said, I just got my an, an X-T2 uh, modified to full spectrum. So I've been just playing around with that a lot. Usually when I go out now, I have the the X-T2 and then the GFX100S, and I'm kind of between those two cameras. I just finished a big project for Fujifilm with the GFX100S. Um, so yeah, those are usually, I mean, outside of the full spectrum camera, I like to shoot with two bodies no matter what I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in the past, it's been uh, an X-T4 and then an X-T3. And I usually have, you know, uh, my, my 50 to 140, which is my favorite Fujifilm lens on uh, one of them. And then either the 10 to 24 or the 16 1.4 on the other. I just love having both a telephoto and a wide angle option. So I don't have to you know, be continuously switching lenses all the time. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of switched to now I'm carrying the GFX 100S and it, it, the two lenses that I have for that are the 30 and the 100 to 200. So I usually have like the, say the 100 to 200 on the GFX 100S, and then I'll have my X-T4 with a wide angle. And that's kind of my two body back and forth that I go with, or vice versa. I'll have the 30 on the, on the GFX 100 and then uh, like my 50 to 140 on an X-T4. But that's kind of the gear that I've been using the most as of late. I've been just obsessed with the image quality out of the, the medium format beast for sure. God, I, mm, 
I, I, the, the, this particular year has been really tempting to the wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the medium format stuff has been just such a, such a game changer. Um, I, I can't wait to dig in when, when my time comes, uh, right now I'm, I can't, but soon. Yeah, soon. no, I get it. I had, so last year I unfortunately had to sell my, uh, my GFX 50 S we, we had some right in the like tail end of summer, our whole home HVAC system went kaput. Um, oh. so we had to drop major coin on installing a whole new system in our house. And so I was like, I'm probably should do the responsible thing and sell some gear that I'm not like, you know, actively using like for all that I do. So yeah. I was bummed to let the GFX 50 S go, but, uh, at the same time excited when the opportunity presented itself for this, this new guy. Your sacrifice was uh, rewarded. It was. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> uh, prior to, Fujifilm, what did you used to use? Yeah, so I switched from Canon. Um, I think my first DSLR was the original Canon Rebel. I don't remember if yeah, it was four too. or six megapixels. It was terrible. <laughs> I love that. I got some great things out of it. That's how I started my wedding career. <laughs> did you have the black one or the silver one? Oh, I went black. I, I went black and just to just so I didn't look like a complete noob. Yeah, I, I went silver. I was the noob. <laughs> uh, I, I made sure I got the battery grip too. Yeah, yeah. That you gotta <laughs> you gotta go with the battery grip. No, I. It's funny because all of my uh, new like you know my XT4, my XT3, my X100V, they're all silver. Like I love the silver on the retro, but I immediately regretted going silver on the original Rebel because it just looked the plastic just the made plastic. it look so terrible. It was such a bad looking camera, but uh yeah, so I I started with that. Um and eventually, I think the last uh, major camera purchase that I made before I switched to Fujifilm was the 5D Mark III. So I had a 5D Mark III and a Mark II. Um, and picked up the original X100, I think in 2012. And that oh was God, just going like, like so far one, one to one. Yeah. Far, origin story. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that was my gateway drug. It, I just, you know, I never I looked back after that. Gateway drugs for everybody. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I tell people, anybody that's interested in like, I'm really interested in trying out one of these cameras. I'm like, just get the X100 because you don't need to worry about picking up lenses. I know it's a big struggle for people switching systems to like have a dual setup and have to buy two sets of gear and all that stuff. But with the X100, it's just so easy because yep. you get that entry point of, you know, it's amazing and what it can, you know, what it's capable of. Um, but you don't have to worry about all the extra things that you need to buy into a system, which is nice. Yeah. So that I'm I'm really curious about that that um that transition period when when you did get the X100 like as a canon shooter for a, a long while suddenly uh the the X X system comes along man like tell tell me a little bit about that like that I love that you went with the X100 because that was my 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 gateway drug too um like how, like what what were the little steps that just got into your blood it was weird because i was kind of at a 
like a, a pivot point of my entire career as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, in 2011 is when I switched from freelancing full-time as both a designer and a photographer to having my first like full-time graphic design job. Um, and so what I realized was this full-time job kind of let me you know, I didn't have to do all of it, which it's funny because at the time, I feel like that time was hot for everybody ditching the full-time job to go freelance. So every blog post that you read was like, Hey, I'm quitting my full-time job to go freelance. And I was going the opposite direction. Um, but what it did is it kind of allowed me to really, you know, eliminate the clients and the things. Cause I mean, I was a portrait shooter, you know, I was shooting weddings and portraits and, yeah. and c- corporate stuff and commercial work. And I didn't, fully enjoy all that stuff really you know i i'd never had personal work i remember listening to people like jeremy cowart at the time talk about the importance importance of having personal work and i was just like why do i have to have personal work i don't have like i don't have time i'm working i'm making money like it's fine um but what i kind of found was as i got this full-time job and all of a sudden like i'm not having to take on all the projects then i could kind of focus on stuff that i was more passionate about And that's where I was like, man, I really have always loved. I mean, even back to, you know, a lot of my portrait work when I was learning how to use strobes by, uh, you know, reading strobus.com. I still love David Hobby for this day to this day. Um, But I was finding epic landscape scenes waiting until golden hour. And then I would drop a person into the scene and light them. And, you know, that would be my way of kind of satisfying the creative bug that I had that I didn't even really know at the time. so, yeah, so as I'm I'm kind of discovering this, I'm also realizing like what a pain it is to carry around a 5D Mark III with like my 16 to 35 and then I'd also want to have my 50 and then probably the 70. You know, it's just a when you're just wanting to run around and kind of play and experiment, it's just a lot of stuff to always yeah. take with you. Um so like I said, I was, you know, I'm following guys on social media like Zach Arias and David Hobby and they were big into you know, the Fujifilm system early on. And so I was kind of hit right, right at the start. I think when they launched it, I think it was 2011 photo Kina of 2011 when they showed it off and then it wasn't available until 2012. And I remember seeing it, it just popped up on my feed. Like people were talking about it and just the look, just, Mm -hmm. I saw it and I was like, I don't even care about specs. I just want that in my pocket because it looks beautiful. And, and I think a lot of people were that way. Right. (laughs) It's a good personal camera. Um, it is the original idea was to to have it at a wedding, but I probably won't use it. It's just something to have on the hip, just to yep. just to look good, an accessory. Yep, that people can uh, talk about. Absolutely, yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of how it all started for me. And then, you know, I was an idiot back then with a wedding that was important <laughs> for weddings. <laughs> But anything to get noticed, I guess. For sure. No, I I understand that. That makes sense. (laughs) I mean, I still, even, you know, the weddings, because I didn't stop shooting weddings. I shot my last wedding in 2018, no, 2019. But I really, like, officially quit in 2018, and then I shot a wedding for a friend in 2019. But I shot weddings for a long time on Fuji stuff um, after the fact, and it was always a great talk. Like, it never failed. There's always somebody going, are you you're shooting a wedding on a film camera? You're like, no, it's not a film camera. It just looks incredibly awesome. Um, 
but yeah, so I think, I think finding that little, that little X 100 kind of freed me up to have this, I I've called it kind of a creative Renaissance for myself in the past where I, you know, it was the camera was experimental for me and from what I'd known for so many years. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of signified this major shift. I mean, I would still for a while, I would continue to use like my cannons for my professional stuff. Um, but anytime I was going out to shoot my, my passion stuff, it was always, you know, eventually the X 100, you know, turned into an X pro one and then an X E one. And then eventually I think when the X T one finally came out, I was like, all right, I can finally get rid of these stupid cannons. <laughs> the X T ones were a godsend that I think, uh, that was the start of me being able to make the switch as well. Uh, I struggled with the autofocus system at the start, but man, to Fuji's credit, they 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 fixed that like iteration after iteration. Like listening to the the photographers, uh, you know what's important, what's not important. Um, I that's what kept me in the system because there were many many times where I felt like I'm just not good enough. For, for this system. Like I just wasn't getting it. But when I saw that they were dedicated to making this system work for on the professional level, that it wasn't just like a gimmick thing or, or, or they're just uh, in it for a, a quick buck. Um, you know, that I saw they were making the effort. So yeah, I really needed to make that effort too. Right. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, like it just clicked um, w w when I was able to make it work, and like oh, like it, it, it was it was that aha moment was like the best feeling in the world, and I, I put down the cannon and, and you know just literally uh, and figuratively the 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 weight of the world was off of me. <laughs> yeah shooting like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely similarly for me, you know, it was having the confidence in the gear finally to be able to do, you know, what I needed my cameras to do, you know, whether it's for a wedding or for portrait session, whatever it was, I think that helped, you know, that what was it the version four firmware update for the XT one that came along and like gave this brand new autofocus algorithm that just changed everything yeah. um, was incredible. But at the same time, I think shooting with the cameras really helped me to find out like, I just, I'm a different kind of photographer, you know, and, and it, it was hard to make the switch. I mean, the, the definitely having the full-time job, you know, deciding that, I'm going to have a full-time job and I'm going to free myself up to pursue this like full on passion. You know, the, the cameras helped me to, uh, push into that, into that direction. And, you know, all this time, like I had no idea of outside of what I heard Zach Arias and David hobby post on the internet. Like I didn't know that the pho photography industry even existed. Like I never had any goals of being any sort of ambassador or anything. I was just kind of, trying to find myself as an artist and, you know, do the things that I like to create and find, build, find and build communities around me. That was the big reason that I really started into Instagram 
was to, you know, to kind of find this photography community that was near me. Um, and then thankfully, like I still, you know, I, I'm having text pop up on my phone right now from one of the, those initial like landscape photography friendships that I made way back in like 2014, 2015. And we're still, we still go on trips together and stuff and shoot even outside of, you know, Instagram now. So I think I, awesome. I definitely owe a lot to the brand just because, you know, they, they just kind of helped me find where I should be, you know, in the whole photography world. So definitely feel indebted to them for that, even though they were, un were unaware of all of this, obviously. But that is, I think that shows just for Fujifilm. And I, I can't speak to them because one, they, they are a large company. Um, they, they have their, their, their own voice. Um, but I think, and I'm again, hazarding a guess that the, the fact that they were so dedicated to, um, give the very best to photography for the, for the love of photography, like it was that last puzzle piece for a lot of photographers out there that were used to the same old thing. I mean, Canon and Nikon were pretty interchangeable. Like, like it's system, you know, it's one iteration after the other, after the other, it, it just seemed very, not clinical, but like very incremental updates all along. Yeah. And, and then, um, I, I can't speak to Sony because Sony has done some pretty big things really, I think between Fujifilm and Sony, like really shaking up the, the, the big two, sure. um, like Fuji had soul and it was able to like really give us that soul to our photography. And again, like all they are is a tool uh, right. to, to help us with, with photography. But like, man, that tool that, that could now become like an extension of yourself rather than uh, like this big weight that you have to work with. It, it just is such a, such a difference. And um, I think that's why we're all uh, so big into this community of uh, Fuji uh, enthusiasts. Yeah, no, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think, you know, I, ha I have a lot of friends that are, you know, even ambassadors for other brands. Um, and I think it, it really, like you said, it's a, cameras are a tool, right? But I think certain tools attract certain types of artists, right? I'm not going to use like a I mean, I don't, I can't speak in terms of paintbrushes, but I would imagine that a, a particular paintbrush is going to be used for a particular style of painting, you know? And, and I think, uh, you know, when it, when it, when it came to, I mean, as it, I think uh, uh, so much always comes back to design for me. And when I look at a Fujifilm camera, I can, I can kind of see, you know, I always equated and I'm, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it just always felt like. It was a cam any camera that they've made. It just feels like a camera that's designed and created by photographers for photographers, where other cameras that I've held just feel like they're created by engineers 
you know? And, and I think yes. it, my, my, my friend, Miles Whitboyer, another Fujifilm X photographer says it best. He always calls it, says the, <laughs> anytime he holds, holds a Sony, he feels like he's holding a calculator, um, <laughs> which I can absolutely agree with. I've had to shoot with an a seven R two a few times. Um, and, and I mean, they're great cameras. They have great features, a great feature set, you know, but it's just not for me. It's just not like holding that camera. It just doesn't speak to, I know we're getting super like heady and meta here, but it just doesn't speak to me as an artist where I can look over to my left right now. I see my X pro three sitting on a shelf looking at me and I just want to touch it. It just, it has that pull that I just want it, The cameras make me want to articulate them and go out and use them where I've, yeah. you know, I just don't have that same connection to any other camera from any other brand that I've held. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it is, it, it, it is an interesting way to, to bring out the passion in, in our work, um, whether it's, uh, landscapes or architectural or astrophotography, like, man, it, I, I love it. I, I guess that's why this, I mean, <laughs> Fuji love is the love letter to the camera system. Um, it, it is, uh, and the community itself, like the, the emails that, uh, I've received so far. Uh, a lot of them are from uh, it's kind of half and half, actually, interestingly enough, uh, I'll share this with the audience. Um, it is half of, you know, people who are in, in the system, pretty, pretty good. But a lot of the, uh, I, I would say about like maybe half is kind of strong, but 25% is people who are not in the system at all. They are, uh, curious and are waiting to figure out which would be the best entry camera uh, to, to, to get. Uh, so it, it is people that are on the sideline uh, waiting to jump in. Um, so the, the, the community itself has uh, intrigued them enough to, uh, to take notice. Yeah. I think who was I having this conversation with? We were just talking about how kind of certain, certain types of people gravitate towards Fujifilm cameras and that's nothing against, uh, you know, any, Oh, I know who I was. I was talking to another friend who has a podcast. Um, uh, his name's Amari and he, we were talking about how, you know, he's kind of reached out to, he shoot, he shoots Fujifilm, but he's shot with a few different camera brands in the past. And he was talking about mm -hmm. how, the people that he reaches out to, to be on his photography podcast, you know, it's, it's always the Fujifilm shooters that kind of are the ones that say, yeah, I'll be on your podcast. It's just, it's like a certain, I don't know. There's just this weird thread where we're very uh, community focused. And I think a lot of it has to do with that. It's just, that's how it feels with Fujifilm. Like they, you know, feel like they're engaged in, their user base and how they, you know, deliver features, deliver updates. And I feel like that kind of circulates through, uh, it's, a, you know, us as ambassadors or just a, the, the Fujifilm community as a whole, it's just, everybody's very open, um, welcoming. And, uh, I, that's why I love it, honestly. I mean, that's, 
it's it's not easy to be an ambassador because especially when you have a full-time job and a family like I do because I feel like and you can ask my wife but uh it's a lot of you know time spent speaking with strangers on social media yeah. about camera gear um and but but I you know I love that I love that I can be that for people look to me to help them make their decisions and and you know ultimately I don't make commissions from the, you know the gear that I sell but I hope that they you know if someone's interested in these cameras my ultimate goal is hey if it brings you any level of happiness that it's brought me like then it's worth it you know that's that's yes. what it's all about and it's that 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 is a great feeling um man i could i i think we could keep talking more and more <laughs> about this but uh man I, we, we'll have to save it for for another time man but uh why don't you tell the world where they could check out your work one more time yeah um i mean most most often if you want to see like the, the majority of my work it's on instagram at brian Manier. um but i'm most active on twitter also at brian Manier. and if you have a you want to go check out some of the blogs that i've written um you can find everything at brianmanier.com Awesome, man. It was great talking to you and man, we'll have to do this again real soon. Absolutely, man. I'm always down to chat. It's been, been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.